Matthew 7, we'll read verse 21 through 27. Jesus is speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, now listen to that. You're going to hear that same kind of language come up again. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, does that sound familiar? Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And that's the end of the sermon. That's how he concludes. If I'm able to get through everything I've got prepared today, this will be our last day on the series on the Sermon on the Mount. It has been a long road, uh, just about a year, I think. Uh, we've had a few breaks here and there. Um, but I, I pray that you have been blessed and enriched uh, by taking a, a deep and long and careful look at the longest sermon that we have on record that Jesus preached. It's worth it to consider his words carefully. I want to focus on verses 24 through 27 this morning. So the last four verses. I'm going to attempt to break this passage down into four main themes, or four main points. Uh, number one, the two categories. Secondly, the great catechism. Then the unshakable cornerstone. And finally, the divine calm. So categories, catechism, corner, catechism, cornerstone, and calm. So let's begin with the categories. It's, it's pretty clear in the text that we read that Jesus has in mind two different kinds of people. That people are broken up into two different categories. So uh, there are similarities, however, in these two different categories. For example, everyone hears. That's right. Everybody hears the words of Jesus. In chapter 24 of Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Everyone hears. You'll notice in verse 24 that we just read this morning, he says, everyone hears these words of mine. And then again in verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine. And e even if they haven't physically heard, like so no one has come to them physically and audibly in their ears have said the words of Jesus or, or declared the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, they are still without excuse. They are counted as having heard. Amen. Paul makes that point very clear when he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the wrath of God is already revealed to them. It's revealed against ungodliness, unrighteousness, yet by their unrighteousness they push down the truth of who God is and what He would have for their lives. They push down the truth of His righteousness. Verse, 12, verse 19, For what can be known about God, how do we know that they have, it's been revealed to them? What can be known about God, verse 19, is plain to them because God has shown it to them how is He showing it to them? Verse 20, for His invisible attributes, namely the etern His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So that even if they haven't audibly heard someone's voice telling them, they haven't actually been preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's been preached to them through all of creation since the beginning of time. It has been declared to them, and they have rejected it. Amen. That's what Paul says. Wrath against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness has been revealed from heaven and all creation declares the glory of God. So then everyone hears. And more to the point, no one is excused from what comes next. Number two, everyone builds. This is how their categories are similar. Everyone hears and everyone builds. Jesus ends the sermon, this parable, a sermon with a parable about two kinds of builders. Right? The wise man, he built, that's verse 24. The foolish man built, that's verse 26. And I think this is brilliant. It's a brilliant way of teaching and a, a, a method of teaching this truth because it is timeless in its ability to bring us all in, to bring in every nation, every tongue, and every tribe from every time and every season to say that there are two builders. Because, I mean, really think about it. Are we not all building something? Amen. Are we not all builders? Amen. Every one of us is building something. We're all building something with our lives. We may not be actually constructing a building, but we're building things like careers and relationships and wealth and reputations. Even the lazy person who doesn't do anything is building. Everyone is pursuing some kind of purpose. Even the lazy person who doesn't do anything is pursuing that purpose to not do anything. Sometimes I purpose to not do anything. Sometimes on a day off, I may, I may decide, uh, what are my plans today? Nothing. That is my plan. I have purposed to build nothing. And that's, I'm building something by building nothing. Do you see that? We're all builders. Everyone hears. Everyone builds. So then there is no escaping this text for you or for anyone. You are somewhere in here. On one side or the other, you are in one of the two categories that Jesus gives. You're either on the right or the left. You're either the one who hears and does or the one who hears and, and does not. You're either wise or you're among the foolish that's how Jesus categorizes them, so that's how we'll categorize them. Puts them in two different categories, wise or foolish builders. 
That brings me to the great cataclysm. We have categories, and we have a cataclysm. We'll come back to the categories here in just a bit, but right now I want to make sure that we're on the same page regarding this, this great storm that Jesus talks about coming and beating against the structure. Because generally speaking, I don't think that people tremble at this storm the way they ought to. Jesus chose this parable to finish his great sermon on the mount. Remember, this is, he's presenting the way of righteousness to the multitudes. And he chooses to talk about a builder and a storm. And I don't think that by and large we tend to give much weight to this storm that Jesus talks about. Amen. It is very tempting for us to read this verse about rain and floods and winds and beatings and come away with the notion that Jesus is talking about simply the trials of life, the, the things that we're going to face along the road. If we do not tremble like we ought to at this storm, we will not rejoice like we ought to over being spared from it. It will not be the anchor. It will not be the weight. It will not be the exclamation point at the end of a life lived in righteousness of suffering for our Savior, of suffering on His behalf. If we don't give it the weight that Christ lays on it. Amen. Let's look at back, back at verse 24 and see if this ultimately bears out. Remember, we have uh, to be people of the Word, people who go to the Word. We're not people of social media. We're not people of uh, catchphrases. We're not people of, of short witticisms. And you see those little memes on social media, Facebook and whatnot. I mean, some of them sound great, but they're not Bible. Uh, so um, we go to the Word. What does verse 24 say? Verse 24 begins in Matthew 7 with the words, everyone then. If you're reading the King James Bible, uh, King James Version, it starts with the, uh, this section by saying, therefore, whosoever. Now, the NASB, the CSB, the NIV, and several others, they all say, therefore, everyone. So, everyone then. Those were everyone then. It's the same thing as saying, everyone therefore, or therefore, everyone. The key is the then, or the Therefore. This tells us that what comes after this is directly connected to what came before it. Amen. Everyone, therefore, everyone, then. So I'm talking about, I'm, I'm just continuing the thought from what came before it. So I want to draw your attention just up a few verses to the immediate context. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus is talking about something much, much more terrifying than just the trials of life. In verse 22, Jesus says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. That day. That's crucial. That day. He's talking about a, a specific day. On that day. This is a clear reference to the day of judgment. It's found all over the Old and the New Testament. You might see it referred to as the great day of the Lord. You might see it referred to as the day of judgment or simply, in this case, that day. 
It's a specific event Jesus is talking about here. It's the day when we will all stand before God, and we we talked about it last week and the week before. We will all stand before God to give an account of every idle word, every thought, and every deed. And Jesus follows it up, that little section about on that day, they will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I don't know you. He follows it up with uh, everyone then, or therefore everyone depending on which translation you're reading. So the storm that he's talking about in verses 25 and verses 27 are descriptions of that day. He's describing that day, the day of the Lord. Not everyday trials that we face, not the general or even the specific trials in this life, but the great day of judgment. Now, can we find promises for everyday life here? Absolutely. Can we find promises for the everyday trials that we face? You bet we can. Romans 8.35, who can separate me from the love of God? Shall tribulation or persecution or nakedness or famine or peril or sword? Yea, no, we are more than conquerors in all of these things. Absolutely, if I have built my life on the firm foundation that is in Christ, He will keep me through life's trials. He will not let my soul be lost. He will hold me fast. Won't He do it? And that's wonderful. That's worth shouting over. That's worth praising God over. Thank you, Lord, for your preserving grace. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, it's not that our desires are too strong. It's not that we hope too big. It's that we hope too little. Hopes are too weak. If your hope in the Lord is that you get pulled through cancer or you get pulled through financial troubles or that you get pulled through relationship problems, then you are hoping for too little. You put your hope in Him to pull you through to eternity. Hope in Him for uh, everlasting glory. Hope in Him for a resurrected, glorified, sanctified body. Hope in Him for the day when every tear will be wiped away and and there will be no more sorrow and no more pain. Hope in Him for that. That's a greater hope. That's an eternal hope. That's a lasting hope. I, I had hoped for a long time that the Lord would heal my dad. And many of you did too. I hoped and I prayed for years that he would restore him to his former self. And what I saw was him anguishing. I saw him lose his mind and not be able to recognize me. I saw him lay there and gurgle for days before he finally went home to be with Jesus. If I hoped in the Lord just for healing, if I hoped in the Lord just for deliverance through that storm, if that were the basis for my hope in Him, I'd be lost right now. I don't know how people make it without the sure and solid rock that is Christ. I have a greater hope. 
I have a more everlasting and eternal hope. I have a, a more solid hope, an unshakable hope. And the thing is, I know that my dad shared that same hope. That hope will carry me through one storm to the next storm, to this little storm, to that little storm, to the great storm that's coming, and even through that one to eternity, to glory, where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Jesus says, Lord, I will receive a glorified, sanctified, healthy body. No more aches and pains. My eyes will work. I mean, all the stuff. My dad and I share that same hope. And so I know that one day I will see him again and we will rejoice together and worship Christ together forever. Amen. Through seeds that he planted. Blessed are the feet that carry the good news. Let me see if I can draw a little bit more direct line here to show you that Jesus is talking about something bigger and greater and more heavy and more, more terrible than simply the trials of life, the storms that we face along the way. Look at the language that he uses. When he describes what happens to the builder's house. In verse 25, he says, The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And then again in verse 27, he says, And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house. So Jesus is describing a storm. He's talking about a, a great tempest, a great storm, rain and floods and winds and beatings. Now let me just take you back through some Old Testament texts and see if you hear some similar language. But pay attention to what the similar language is re- referring to. In Ezekiel chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, the Lord says, Precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Where's that? really pretty outer shell. So a structure is being built by, false, by, by the people, and the false prophets are saying, oh, it looks great. They're just covering it over with plaster. Everything's good. It's a weak structure, poorly constructed, no foundation, covered with plaster, looks good. Does that sound familiar? The outer shell looking fine, but the structure is weak, and what happens to it? It falls. Verse 13, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind. There's, there's that, the winds that Jesus speaks about break out in my wrath. In my wrath. The stormy wind comes in the wrath and the judgment of God. And there will be a, a deluge of rain in my anger. Rain and floods, that's the deluge both as a means of God pouring out His anger upon the ungodly. And great hailstones in wrath. There's the beatings. Again, the wrath of God being poured out. But what does all that accomplish? What does all of God's wrath accomplish? What is this storm that is sent by God to accomplish His judgment? What does it do? It makes a full end. 
A full end, not a partial end, but utter, complete destruction. Just read a little bit further to see the devastation. Verse 14, he says, And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am Lord. But that house fell and great was the fall of it. That's judgment. That's final judgment. That's a full end laid bare. Again in chapter 38, same book, Ezekiel, verse 22. With pestilence and bloodshed will I enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes, rain and his hordes, and the many people who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones and fire and sulfur, the judgment of God, the rain and the hailstones and fire and sulfur. Proverbs 10, 25, when the tempest, that's a great storm, passes, the wicked is no more. So what's the point of the tempest? The storm, to get rid of the wicked. But the righteous is established forever. It's judgment. It's judgment. One last one in Isaiah 28, 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes... Uh, will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line, and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. So God isn't talking about the the little hiccups that we face along the way. He's not talking about sickness. He's not talking about about, uh, financial troubles. He's not talking about relationship problems. He's not talking about any of that. He's He's talking about his final judgment. The Apostle Paul called all those other things, he said, these are minor afflictions. That's 2 Corinthians 4. Momentary afflictions. I don't think Jesus is talking about momentary afflictions here. He's talking about judgment, ultimate and final. So back in our text in Matthew, back in uh, Matthew 7, uh, verse 27, look at what he says. He says, the house fell, this was the foolish house, the foolish builder who built on the sand. It did not do the words of God. That house fell and great was the fall of it. It, It's laid bare. There's nothing left but a pile of rubble. And everybody inside, they're dead. That house fell, was built by the foolish person who heard the words of Jesus but did not do them. And he is eternally and forever Destroyed. But rejoice, dear Christian, for your redemption draws nigh. The wise builder who hears the words of Jesus and does them is not eternally destroyed, he is eternally saved eternally saved forever. Verse 25. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And that brings me to the rock, our unshakable cornerstone. 
The wise builder's house did not fall because it was founded on the rock. The foundation of his life is sure, solid, unshakable, immovable, bedrock. Now, Paul speaks of this foundation in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He says, According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. He's talking about another preacher going around, Apollos, who's a great preacher, just getting some things wrong. So Paul's issuing a warning statement. There's been a master foundation laid. Now, you got to be careful what kind of preaching you listen to. He says... Continuing in verse, um, uh, verse 10 still, Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one, verse 11, can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, Amen. that is Jesus Christ. Amen. In other words, there is no foundation, there's no suitable place for building other than Christ. Amen. He is the sure and solid rock. He's the unshakable cornerstone. Remember way back in, in we just read it, Isaiah 28. But it's way back in the Old Testament. Verse 16. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever believes in this cornerstone will not be in haste. Well, that's an odd thing to say, isn't it? will not be in haste. Well, that's where our original languages help out. So we can go back to the Hebrew, if you've got a good Hebrew dictionary, you can go back to it, and you can see that this word, the Hebrew word that's translated as, in, as haste, uh, it, it carries with it the notion of being in a hurried panic, mm-hmm. being shaken. You know, when you're in a bit of a panic, anyone ever been in a panic? You know, the situation where you're like, ah! I have had one or two. I have two daughters, so I've <laughs> and a wife. <laughs> no, seriously, you're in a panic, right? And and what happens to your pace when you're in a panic? It speeds up. You're doing things. You're making rash decisions. You're making rash judgments. You you're not stopping to think carefully through what you're doing. You're in a, a hurried panic. You're panicked. And that's what this means. Whoever believes will not be panicked. Whoever trusts in this cornerstone is at peace. You'll have no reason for panic. You are ultimately secure because your foundation is solid and sure. In, at, at work, we have these, um, what do you call them? This sky, sky, the sky lift? I don't know what you call it. But anyway, it's a, it's a mechanism that we use to do things way up, way up tall. And, and some of them, they're scissor lifts, which are a bit more uh, uh, stable. Ours is not. It's a pole and a platform, right? So a little pole and a platform that you stand on, and this thing's up 30 feet in the air. So, I mean, you're up there, and it's doing this. I, I hate it. I hate getting up there to do cable or whatever, but it's not sure. I want my feet back on the ground, right? There's nothing sure, and so that thing feels like I'm, you know, about to fall, uh, even in indoors where there's no wind. Every little movement shakes it. Isn't that what it's like to build a house on the sand? Amen. And that brings me to the divine calm. Remember 
We're all building something, everybody. There are only two categories of people that Jesus considers, and they're both builders. If you think you're not building something with your life, you're fooling yourself. Amen. We build both by doing. Look at the words that Jesus uses. We build both by doing, and we build by not doing. In not doing, we're still building. We build by obeying and not obeying, by trusting and not trusting. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if you hear the word and you don't do it, you're just deceiving yourself. You hear the scriptures, you hear the word of God, you hear the commandments of Jesus, but you don't do them. It's deception to your soul. It's like putting blinders on. Just like the foolish builder who builds on no foundation, just like the false prophets who build the wall and cover it with whitewash and say, look how pretty this is. Just like the Pharisees who wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is dirty. The only uh, real peace, the only place of eternal calm, the only shelter from the storm is in Christ and in joyful obedience to his word. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. There's a reason, church, that Jesus tells us that we must build on the rock. He is the rock. He is our refuge. He is our sure and solid stronghold. He is the cornerstone. The wrath of God will be poured out like a hurricane. Do you see that in the imagery that Jesus gives? The wind and the floods and the rain and all that. And it beats. The wrath of God will be poured out like a hurricane. And it's foolish for us to build on sand. And the foolish builder will utterly perish. But the wise one, the wise builder will stand. And here's the thing. We'll stand (laughs) owing everything to nothing more than our foundation because in that same passage in corinthians where i talk about paul uh saying that he laid a foundation be careful how you build on it he goes on to talk about how people who build on the foundation will build with wood and hay and stone and gold and whatnot and all that will be tried with fire we've talked about that a little bit in the past what is the foundation that's who stands that's who stands We will be safe in the stronghold of Christ. So when the wrath of God is poured out like a hurricane, the wise will stand with nothing to claim but Jesus. (laughs) But it's not like we'll be there and feel naked. We won't stand there and feel exposed. Like, oh gosh, where'd all this structure go that was around me? Because our feet are planted on the solid rock of Christ. Let me take you back to a, a particularly stormy time for the disciples. You will remember this story in the Mark's gospel in the fourth chapter. Jesus uh, and the disciples are on a boat and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says that a great storm arose and winds were blowing and the waves were crashing against the boat. And the boat, the Bible says, was taking on water. So, I mean, it, this storm was too much for the boat. And, and 
we're astonished to find that Jesus is not at all concerned. Where is he at? He's down in the boat, laying on a cushion, asleep. He's sleeping through this storm that is just tossing the boat to and fro. I had the pleasure a few years ago to go to Destin, Florida with my family, and we, we went out on a shark fishing trip. Now, we, it was catch and release, so we let them go, but we were on this little fishing boat that we paid handsomely to be on, and we went out in the middle of the ocean, and I say the middle of the ocean because I couldn't see land, so we were out in the ocean, and there's no land, Amen. and the, I'm kid you not, the wind was blowing, and the boat was, I mean, it was doing this bit, I mean, it was everywhere, everywhere. This is a modern structure, I can't imagine. We weren't taken on water, and we were pretty violently tossed. Um, I thought it was going to be one of those three-hour tours where <laughs> we, uh, we wound up stranded on a desert island. I don't know. But the disciples are in this boat, and, and it's being tossed and taking on water, and, and Jesus is laying down in, in the belly of the boat, and he's asleep. And so they're afraid. And about verse 38 of chapter 4 in Mark, the disciples, they're panicked, so they... They, they woke Jesus up and they said, don't you care that we're perishing? We're, we're about to drown. Don't you care about this? And what does Jesus do? He wakes up and he rebukes the storm. And he says, peace, be still. Amen. Amen. Now, I, the Bible says that once he said that, that immediately the, the wind ceased and the sea was calm. It was a great calm. I imagine Jesus standing up in this boat, and then facing into the wind. And he just says, calm down. I don't, I don't think he had to shout. <laughs> I don't think he had to raise his voice or get ecstatic about it. He didn't have to, you know, dance in circles or do jumping jacks or anything like that. He just stood up and said, be still. And it was still. Here we have the calm, stable shepherd of our souls. And, and we stand, and he stands between us and the storm. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Stands between. Do you know, I've told you before, especially if you're here on Wednesday night, the gospel is not good news without the wrath of God. Amen. If, if God was not angry at us, then the cross was not necessary. That's, it was just abuse. If, if we were not in danger of the utter destruction of the Lord, the cross was just abuse. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Now, I mean, the problem is that we try to, con we, we, we think that to say God is love and God is wrath are opposites. But they're the same thing. In his love, he will pour out his wrath upon all creation. And we will stand behind a calm, sure Savior. Amen. Who is God in the flesh? And, and he'll say, be still. It's not just any kind of calm. It's a divine calm. It's a commanded calm. 
When we stand before Christ and the wrath of God is poured out and final judgment is executed on all creation for the multitudes who are there, who are among the goats, who are not among the righteous, it will be a great, dreadful, terrible, deadly storm. But for the wise builder who is firmly situated on the rock of Christ, we will look to him without anxiety, without panic or haste. We will look to him with confidence in his completed work on the cross. His grace is sufficient for us unto glory. Don't miss what Jesus said, though, and I'll I'll finish with this. When when faced with final judgment, the, the gospel of Jesus is very good news. Right? When, when you like, see the onslaught coming, right? The gospel of Jesus, that's, that's suddenly very good news. Just hearing the gospel of Jesus can make you feel relieved. There's an escape. Wonderful. That's good. There's an escape. I can get out of this. But the escape is only available to those who believe Jesus enough to do what he says. Now, you may say, Jeff, you're, you're preaching a works-based salvation, and I would say absolutely not. There is no good work that will save you. It is through Christ alone, the shed blood of Christ alone, faith and hope in Him alone that will save you. What I'm saying is that if your trust is in Jesus, that's otherwise known as faith, it will produce Amen. fruit. Amen. It will produce the fruit of obedience. Yeah. And, and we now have a means, because of what Jesus has said in, in his closing remarks of his, of his sermon, we now have a means of doing a, a spiritual health check, a building inspection, if you will. Amen. He's given us a way to check it. Yes. Are, you, are you doing what I said? So that we can work out and walk out our salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.12. And at the same time, when we find that we're lacking, I find that I'm, I'm struggling with obedience here and there. I can confidently, boldly approach the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace, Amen. Hebrews 4.16. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, once again for your word. I thank you that you are merciful. I thank you that you sent your son for us. I thank you that he preached this amazing sermon. And I thank you for these people who have had patience with me to walk through it slowly and carefully. Lord, I, I ask that you do the miracle, the greatest miracle of all, that that you let the implanted word take root in our hearts, that it spring up as new life within us, Lord, that we find ourselves eager and and clamoring to believe and and clamoring to to obey, that it is our joy to serve you, not not just to sing your praises, Lord, but to do what you've called us to do and help us to find our ultimate joy in it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.